0: So welcome back to Leaders Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Scott Lease of Scott Lease Consulting, uh, who is a sales consultant. He's helped uh, numerous companies scale um, from basically no revenue to up to $25 million annual recurring revenue, and probably more than that. Um, He's got years of industry experience, proven track record of success. He's authored several books. Um, He's got some really cool initiatives, uh, like a a conference and also a Thursday weekly event, which we're going to hear about soon. But first of all, I just wanted to welcome Scott to the show. So thanks for coming on,
1: Scott. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah, great to have you. So, Scott, as we often do, let's dive into some actionable advice. So I was wondering, is there any particular approach tip tool or strategy that you think other consultants should know about, and maybe they don't, So maybe something that you learned earlier on in your uh, consulting career
1: well I, I think that diversification needs to and can continue when you start consulting. I think I think a lot of people get into consulting as a thread of diversification. You've got your W-2 income, you start doing coaching or consulting on the side, and then they go full on into coaching or consulting. And that's it. That's the game. And that's the rub. Um, and I kept branching out. So my consulting business has a lot of different uh, facets to it. There's Private coaching and one-on-one stuff for executives. There's trainings for sales reps and frontline managers. There's go-to-market strategies and strategic advisor, um, you know, roles that I take with about a dozen companies at a time. There's equity-only versions of that strategic advisor role. I branched out and leveraged the consulting business and spun up another two companies out of it these events businesses that you're talking about. surfing Sales is an event, a sales and leadership conference down in Costa Rica that I do a couple of times a year. And then I launched a community, which is Thursday Night Sales, which is the world's largest and longest running virtual sales happy hour. So, and then there's also a Patreon group that I run for sales leaders, the book revenue. So all of these things to me kind of roll into my... Consulting business, if you will, rather than just doing the one thing that some people do. So you're asking me to give advice to other consultants. It's don't just stop at consulting. Think about all the different spokes in the wheel and different you know revenue streams that you can bring towards your consulting business.
0: Yeah, I love that. And when you so when you started out, would, were you? I'm curious which which one of those did you primarily focus on and how did you gradually build that up into a kind of a portfolio I'm guessing it may be in the one to one then it went to one to many and and how did that progression happen was it you know was it people saying oh you know what Scott it'd be great to have you come in and and coach our team or or was it something completely different
1: Yeah it was a, it was a little bit of um <clears throat> direct sort of go to market stuff was how I got I got started. So my my background is I was a six-time VP of sales. And as you said, taking companies from zero to 25 million or so. So that very early stage stuff was what I got really good at. And before I ever left to go full-time into consulting, I started getting reached out to by other founders saying, Hey, I've seen the work you've done taking these companies from, you know, nothing into something. Are you available to help you know, talk me through your process and what's worked. So I started with that, you know, and that branched out into a lot of different other, other things, Um, different venture capital firms, funneling me clients, leveraging my, my connections and network on a place like LinkedIn, bringing clients my way. So everything started coming inbound to me. I've never had to do any, any outbound prospecting whatsoever. So I, I sort of started there, and then started getting some what I would call private coaching inquiries. Then I started getting more team-based inquiries where somebody wants me to, you know, do an SKO or 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 train the team on some of my philosophies and stuff like that. And, you know, I just kept kept running with it, you know, and 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 the thing I've been doing the most in the last couple of years is this community building kind of thing where... These different branches of, of my business, these different entities now, Surf and Sales, Thursday Night Sales, Scotty's Little Sales Club, which is the name of my Patreon group, you know, and, and all of these things are pieces of what I can do, right? I talk about sales strategy. I talk about sales playbooks. I talk about sales ops processes. I talk about sales coaching. I talk about sales recruiting, all these different buckets, um, and, you know, I, so to me, I started with the one that I was most familiar with and kind of already doing that. was That was an easy leap, if you will.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, I'm curious about the uh, genesis of the uh, of the sales and surf. I love the I love that concept, but it sounds like you've sort of taken a, something you're passionate and you, you enjoy, you know, paired that with your, you know, your 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 domain of expertise. And you're able to kind of bring together like-minded people through that and allow people to kind of bond over something that isn't, it's, it's, it's a common passion amongst people.
1: Yeah. The, the, the idea came from me just trying to do the opposite of what sales conferences are all about, which is as many numbers as possible, you know, scan as many badges, get as many leads as you can network like mad, go to parties, do all this stuff. And I just I hate that stuff. Like that's just not my scene in general. As a as a human being, like I'm very much more reserved, introverted. I don't want to go do that stuff. So I thought, well, why don't I, you know, have a small group of people get out of their comfort zone, do something very different? This is not like going to the Marriott in Chicago or you know the Hilton in Omaha, Nebraska, or some crummy place like that. It's like let's go to Costa Rica. Beautiful environment, totally outside of your comfort zone. Have, uh, instructors teach people how to surf who don't know how, have people cook all of our meals, clean up after us, a full sort of five star, you know, approach. I rent a bunch of villas right on the water and let's mix content and and kind of teaching opportunity and sessions with relaxation and fun and exercise. So you, you know, you walk away with like, Seventeen or eighteen really close connections, and maybe even new friends that you're able to leverage and do business with, and 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 what have you. And you know, it just became like a really powerful experience. We've had God knows how many people tell us it was a life changing experience. We've sold out every single event that we've done. We do three or four a year now. So you know, I'm spending one twelfth of my year living in Costa Rica now, running these events and it it spawned a podcast out of it that has a hundred thousand plus you know downloads and big sponsors like salesforce and outreach and companies like that so this you know kind of goofy little experimental idea became you know damn near a half million dollar business just as a little side hustle you know born out of like the network out of the consulting business and all that that kind of thing so that, that's how it got started was just trying to Rage against the machine of of what's, what's normal in the conference world.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that idea. Just um, there, there are one or two other events where they where they also take uh, you know activities like mountain biking uh, or uh, snowboarding or you know, and they turn that into like a little mini conference uh, by yeah. itself. I Suppose it's really not the hardest
1: thing to do. Like everyone wants to get away and you know go and do something 100%. fun. I mean you could you could do it right now you could steal the idea anybody out there who's listening like what's something you're super passionate about Jonathan pick pick a thing dancing salsa sound- There you go salsa and sales okay. <laughs> so- <laughs> <clears throat> All you need is is 15 20 people take them to a cool place go to you know Cuba or Mexico or or someplace like that on the on the beach right and if your network is powerful enough and people know who you are and the work that you've done and you've got something to teach them beyond just salsa dancing, you should be able to pull that off. What the margin will be and how that is a, a a big business for you or not, or just something where you can break even but get a little fun trip out of it remains to be seen. But if you run the economics right and you've leveraged yourself, you know, appropriately, there's really good margins in doing something like that. Right. And you don't need to sell 2000 tickets. Yeah. Like, can you find 15 people to go with you to salsa and sales, Jonathan? 15 people that will pay, call it a couple thousand dollars. And in doing so, they get a trip to Mexico, the beach. We get food, they get drinks, they get dance lessons. They also get content about how to build a better consulting business, how to be a better salesperson, how to do better you know, managing your team. Would, would 15 people pay $3,000 for that? I should hope so. Okay. There's $45,000 of initial revenue. And how much does it cost to put on all that kind of event? Let's say it costs $25,000 to put on all that stuff. That's your expenses. You're left with 20 grand. You want to go salsa dancing for a few days in Mexico and earn 20 grand? I fucking hope so. It's a pretty good existence if you can pull it off, right? Well, now you understand the appeal of surfing sales and why I keep trying to do more of them and that kind of thing. And anybody can do the same thing. Salsa dancing, snowboarding, golf. I've had everybody, any idea you can think of, somebody has pitched to me and said, have you thought about doing this and sales? Have you thought about doing that and sales? I'm like yeah, I have, you know, just haven't done it yet.
0: Yeah, that's in- interesting because it's it's actually it's not that hard to come up with something that's very unique, basically, and you can t- you can apply it to really end- any industry, couldn't you? You could,
1: one hundred percent, you could.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just thinking to myself. I mean, the kind of conferences that I attend, uh, you know, my my area is podcasting, basically. And I think of all the podcasting conferences out there and sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was another? It's like, well, there are already quite a few conferences around podcasting,
1: but they're
0: all kind of the same-ish. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Whereas they're the people- all They're all cookie cutter and, and arguably like a little bit boring. Yeah. If you could change the dynamic in your industry, why not do it? Um, all, it does, all it takes is a little bit of guts.
0: Yeah.
1: To, to pull the thing off. Once you initiate something like that, everybody
0: wants to attend it. Like everybody, everybody's interested. Yeah. Cause it has yeah. that, that
1: different flavor. Yeah. That's great. I love it. But it self, self generates buzz because the people that come, they start talking about it. Yeah. They start talking about their experience, right? We went to podcasting salsa and sales event for, uh, for Jonathan. Now people start posting about it. People start putting pictures up on social media Word starts to spread a little bit. And you're like, you know what? This event went pretty good. I think I could do another one in the spring. And you throw that one out there, sell that one out before you know it. You're doing one in the spring and one in the fall. And the and it compounds, right? That's kind of what's happened with, uh, you know, surfing sales. Yeah. So I think the time is right for these kind of micro events. Yeah. More experiential, more personal, more impactful. Yeah. Right?
0: Just thinking through it as well, I guess you could like piggyback off like uh, maybe you you might you maybe you won't like this idea or maybe you will, uh, but you might piggyback off another larger conference within that industry. And that way you could like secure one big name speaker. You're basically like, hey, look, we'll cover, you know, your skiing or your surfing or whatever it is if you want to come along and join us. And then that's an attraction for the other attendees as well.
1: Yeah, you could. You could, it's it's better and more cost-effective if you are the big name speaker though. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why it's important to, you know, have grown your brand yeah. one way or the other, whatever platform, you know, it is. I have people who clearly have like paid PR agencies or whatever, reach out to me and say, hey, are you looking for a keynote speaker at Surf and Sales? Are you looking for a keynote speaker at your Thursday night sales live conference? I'm like, I am the fucking keynotes. What are you talking about? I'm not paying I'm not paying somebody, you know, to do that. But if I didn't have a sizable audience and I needed to attract people, that would totally be a way that I would do it.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And and speaking of building, you know, a a personal brand, a sizable audience, um, obviously you, I think is it fair to say that LinkedIn is where you've, you know, you've managed to build most of that for yourself.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's d- definitely the one where I've put the most energy and attention into. I, I got kind of serious about it in 2015, 2016 or so. So I, I've been at it for about seven years. You know, I'm, I've got over 90,000 followers on LinkedIn now. And it, it's a full-time job. man. <laughs> you know, you gotta, I gotta think of content to write. Not quite every day, but you know, at least a few days a week. You got to stay relevant somehow. You've got to find ways to repurpose old content without just copy and pasting. You've got to come up with new creative stuff. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of pressure. And then you've got to be responsive. You know, I think it's really important to be accessible to people. And so when they take the time to comment or they take the time to send you direct messages it's very important to me that i respond to those things and so i, I try to engage with everybody and respond to everybody as best i can and, you know that gets tricky the the larger the audience but that audience is powerful man you know i've built a multi million dollar consulting business one could argue on the back of the w2 work that i did and strictly my linkedin profile and efforts that i've done on LinkedIn, those two things are probably solely responsible for my ability to make my business work.
0: Interesting. And would you attribute the success you've had on LinkedIn on any particular kind of practice, or like, you know, it's, I'm just curious. Like one one thing, I I went through a phase where I was I was trying to really get better at doing LinkedIn content, and I found that just forcing myself to publish something. Early in the morning, I had like a half hour window, and at the end of that half hour window, I had to publish something. And I would, but I would also not start from scratch. I'd maybe have a kind of like a, a notebook of ideas um, that I could kind of pick and choose from. So I, I went through that ideation process of topics separately. And in addition to that, so sorry, um, just to add to that is also, I found that separating the terrible first draft Writing process from the editing process was really important. So not having a filter at the very start and just writing everything down that came uh, to my mind and then going through the editing process really worked for me. But I know that everybody's different, so I'm curious, like what what things worked most, or, or like were there any light bulb moments where you're like, ah, this this thing works for me?
1: Well, what works for me is actually not editing anything. I'm very much like idea. Comes in, type it up, put, hit the publish button before I can overthink it and edit it and convince myself that it's shit and I shouldn't post it. So I, one of the things that I've tried to do in my career is to, sh- is to really shrink the delta between the idea and the action taken. And one of the ways I do that is I just sort of trust I'm going to put something out. I don't need to edit it. I don't need to try to make it better. It just is what it is. And if it tanks and nobody sees it, who cares? because nobody saw it And if it, if it does really well, then oh that worked. I'm kind of reinforcing that I should trust my gut more. So I can't, I'm not good at forcing myself to write. So I can't sit down in a room like you did under pressure and say I got 30 minutes like I have to write something I the, the, the inspiration strikes me and I post and if it doesn't strike me I don't post. Now that doesn't work for everybody though but that that has worked you know for me. Um, I think it helps keep me authentic and, uh, you know, kind of off the cuff and and seem maybe less programmatic or, or, or less robotic, uh, you know, and some of that stuff over time becomes your brand. And then people are like, I really don't know what Scott is going to say next, or, you know, they'll get used to the fact that my spelling is not very good when I try to move (laughs) a hundred miles an hour, when I'm trying to post something on my phone, because that's when I have the. Idea. And, you know, nobody cares about that stuff in the end, right? They really only care about three things right now. They want you to educate them, they want you to inspire them, or they want you to entertain them. That's it. For me, all the posts all come down to those three things. Now, if you're not hitting the mark on at least one of those things, you've really got no shot. If you can hit the one post that hits on all three of those things, those are the things that really kind of take off. You know, so regardless of what your strategy is, uh, the consistency piece is is key, and and really trying to present who you are every single day online is the same person who you are offline. I think you know has been a big part of my ability to grow, you know, my network and my brand.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's that editing part that is often the most tedious and laborious and time consuming it.
1: And so if you can avoid that even better. Yeah. It's also the part where imposter syndrome shows up, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. is this any good? Is anybody going to like this? Am I going to get shit for this? Da, 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 da. And you know, I'm not, I can get sucked into that trap. So regardless of what I'm up to, I'm just like, fuck it. I wrote it, hit publish, see what happens. Off you go. Yeah. You know?
0: And at the end of the day with, with all this stuff, there's always an edit button afterwards. Apart from Twitter, sure. maybe not for Twitter, but for LinkedIn, they're definitely you can. Doesn't matter if you have a typo here and there; they can always be cleaned up later.
1: Yeah, but people don't. People don't care. I, I don't, I'm not going to not engage or like your post because you misspelled a word or two. Yeah, I'm just not. You know, you care about those things way more than your audience does. I think. So you know, being a perfectionist is your worst enemy when it comes to content creation, right? I think you gotta get you gotta get comfortable playing fast and loose, and, and realize that B plus A minus quality work and done is way better than A plus perfection, but it took you an extra forty five minutes. Mm. And
0: so, when it comes to the question of quality versus quantity, I'm guessing that you. Veer more on the quantity side because the quality will follow. The more you put yourself out there, is that a fair way to describe it? I think in the beginning,
1: yeah. I think in the beginning, for sure. You know, you're finding your voice, you're learning what time to post, what days, what styles, what resonates with your audience, which types of people are connecting with you and who you're connecting with. So it's, it's an experimentation phase, right? Your audience will never be as small as it is right now so there's less risk involved when you think of it that way just put it out there it didn't work i'll do something better you know next time all right so even now i i still think like well my audience is never going to be smaller than it is now so let me try something you know so i post sometimes twice a day 9 a.m and 1 p.m you know sometimes i post Not at all, all week. And then I'll post on the weekend because something came to me. And I've had that thought before, like, well, you shouldn't post this because it's Saturday morning and like, nobody's going to look at it or whatever. And you have to overcome those voices. And for me, at least it's important to just do it when the moment strikes. And sometimes you're pleasantly surprised, you know?
0: Were there any instances where you posted something and it struck a chord or resonated
1: in a way that you weren't expecting? uh, that come to mind? Well, when I was posting and still employed by somebody else, I certainly pissed off my boss more than once. (laughs) So if you are a W2 employee and you're creating content, they don't own your brand and you can write whatever you want, but that doesn't mean they won't give you shit for it (laughs) and try to tell you to stop or watch what you're saying. You know, Mm. I found out for example, that founders don't like it when you question the viability of stock options. Or, you know, you talk about empowering employees and how, uh, you know, salaries are going up and the great resignations taking place and work from anywhere is a movement. Like, founders don't like hearing on that stuff sometimes because they want to keep the control of everything. And then there's certain things that to me just scream human decency and you put things out there and an ugly side of the Internet rears its head. And things can take off, you know, in the wrong direction. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was actually controversial. Holy (laughs) shit. You know, so I've I've got stuck in one of those kind of quagmires before, right? But I never let those things, uh, you know, I never get too fired up when something goes right, and I never get too pissed off when something goes wrong. Try to just stay a little level-headed about it all.
0: Yeah. Interesting. If I th- if I think of some of the things that I've posted on on LinkedIn, actually, specifically, there is one one thing that I posted, which was about the the feeling of being an outsider, because I I was born I grew up in a country that I never really felt was like my, my family's originally from Scotland. I was born from, in Belgium. I grew up there, uh, but I always felt, you know, like the odd person now. I didn't speak the same language as my neighbor's. Uh, but the same as when i go to scotland i don't feel scottish i feel like i'm from somewhere else so um so i posted just you know just you know a little post with the, about that and it was just really interesting like people i'd never you know i i, I had no idea just people who are second third degree to connections they found that post like really resonating with them and a lot of people commented on it so it was like I got some really interesting perspectives from that. So that was, yeah, just an instance of something I wasn't, you know, really expecting to resonate so yeah. much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you told a story and it was your story and it's not a not super uncommon but also not talked about all that often. And so it probably struck a chord with people who were like, I can relate to that thing and I'm glad it's out in the open and not taboo or whatever, right? It's like I'm a man without a country. <laughs> Yeah. It's, that's kind of interesting you know a lot of people probably feel similar and, and sounds like you hit hit a chord with that yeah
0: yeah so, and still just sticking with the with the topic because it's I mean, i'm quite curious i hope you don't mind us uh uh going into the weeds about this but i'm curious do you have a couple of topics that you uh come back to time and time again like you know your top Three to five topics. Do you try and stay in a certain lane, or do you do tend to go quite broad in the term in the in terms of yeah what you address or what you talk about?
1: I've gone pretty broad. Most people would tell you to niche down and and really like hone your message and focus on this one thing. And I I never wanted to do. I never wanted to do that. I never felt that I was a one trick pony. Uh, I never wanted to be known for one thing. And frankly, I get bored talking about the same thing over and over again. Yeah. You know, so, that being said, I never talked about things and still don't talk about things that I don't know anything about. Yeah. So you won't you won't find me going on LinkedIn and posting about SEO strategy and Google AdWords. No, I don't know shit about that. Right? You know, you won't find me talking about how to hire engineers. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. But um, so talk about the things that I've been through and feel like, you know, I have experience and a, a record of success that Hopefully make my words, you know, hit a little different, hit a little harder, sound a little more credible. Cause I've been through that before. I think there's themes that run through that, but I I'm not somebody who has like a content strategy. I'm like, I I can't stress enough that, you know, I kind of wake up every day and I'm like, I wonder what the hell I'm gonna post today. You know, what, what's on my mind? But I'm not like, okay, August, we're gonna talk about sales leadership. September, we're gonna talk about prospecting. October, we're gonna talk about community. No, I don't I don't operate that way. You know. But if some an a- analyst out there ran through all my content, I'm sure they could be like, Well, here's the six pieces of content that Scott thematically discusses the most, right? I'm just not doing I'm just not doing that work. Yeah. So it's probably
0: just a, a natural evolution. But I think by going broad, because there there are two schools of thought, right? Some people say go broad and figure out what your audience really wants to hear more about or what they're interested in. And also, you know, follow your own interests and, and go down rabbit holes. And the other school of thought is, well, you know, if people follow you or, or they engage with the content, that it's because you're positioned to speak to a certain area that you're very knowledgeable about. And you should maybe stick to that because otherwise when people follow you and they see all this content, it's a little bit all over the place. They're going to start to lose interest. So, I guess neither is necessarily right. It's just two different Yeah, I don't, I don't to know that they're,
1: yeah. I think the one that's right is the one that is bringing you the best result. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it feels right, but it's not bringing you any outcome that you're looking for, then it's not the right way. So, whichever one feels right and is bringing you the outcome, that's the right one for you, I think. Absolutely.
0: Great stuff. Well, Scott, I want to thank you for for going down that rabbit hole uh, with me. I know that was uh, yeah. kind of going into a little, little bit of the weeds there, but um, I would uh, I would love for you. I know you've mentioned your your event series. You also have a, a podcast of your own. I'd love for you to just kind of maybe help people understand like where they can find out more about all the all the work that you do, all the all the events. Where is there sort of like one kind of central? repository obviously LinkedIn sounds like a good place to to catch up on everything that you're doing
1: yeah that's a good place to start but if you went to my consulting website which is Scott consulting.com there's links from there to the surf and sales Thursday Night sales Scotty's little Sales club the different books that I've written all this kind of um, kind of stuff you know and the the podcast is is spun out of the surf and sales brand. And uh, like I said, we've done like 350 episodes in two and a half years now, had some killer sponsors. I mean, that was something that I never thought about when I got started with, with the podcast. I never thought, wow, this is going to be big enough that you can get people to pay you to sponsor the show. You know, so bang, revenue generation there. So this is, goes back to full circle to what I was talking about at the beginning, which is like these things that you do, they can all become a revenue stream and a, and a spoke in the wheel if you will, that's just adding revenue to, you know, you as an entity, which if you're a consultant, you probably are your own entity, your own media company, you are it, right?
0: Yeah. And I suppose by, by diversifying those sources as well, it de-risks. your. 100%. It makes your career more anti-fragile, basically.
1: Yeah, 100%. You, you know, lose two clients this month, but have all these other things going on. Nobody likes to lose clients, but, you know, I'm still getting paid a good chunk of money, right? So it's a it's a bit of a safety net and a way to kind of turn yourself into a recurring revenue business as opposed to just a one project at a time kind of business, right? Excellent.
0: Well, Scott, as, as we wrap up here, I just wanted to thank you for uh, yeah, spending time here with us today, sharing your wisdom, yeah. insights. You've definitely got a very interesting story and uh, we'll probably have to have a part two or potentially part three, and, uh, et etc. <laughs> at some point in the future, if you're willing to come back on, we'd love to have you.
1: Yeah, appreciate that. Had a good time. Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> All right, cheers.
0: Thanks for listening. This show is brought to you by Spotlight Podcasting, which is an agency I run where we help consultants launch podcasts that align with their business goals. Now, how do we do that? You might wonder. Basically, we simplify the whole process by setting you up with interviews between you and your ideal prospects, as well as strategic partners. And then we handle all the rest for you. So that means the tech setup, audio editing, show notes, production, distribution, all that stuff. You won't have to worry about it. So if you're ready to launch a podcast that will take you minimal time to run, you can find us at spotlightpodcasting.com.